How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me today, not as always, because Frank is out for tonight. Um, just had something come up, so I went through the Rolodex real quick and tried to figure out. All right, who should I who should I go to? Uh, who can I bring off the bench? Who can I get some hot takes out of? And I decided on Mitchell Maurer. Uh, the one of the managing editors over at Brew Hoop. I just found out he's been at Brew Hoop since 2009, which blows my mind just a little bit. Um, hey, me too. <laughs> uh, but that's Mitchell. Mitchell, how are you? I'm doing very well, Eric. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, this is this is kind of a a strange time to be a Bucks fan, Mitchell. If I can be totally honest, because the Bucks actually won game one of a series. Oh, they didn't just win it, though. They didn't just win it. Give them some credit. Uh, yeah, they boat raced the Raptors in game one. Um, which it, was, it was a boat race to end all boat races. Not really, but that's how I felt. As, I, as a Bucks fan, I don't know how you could feel any differently. So the Bucks win that game, and Frank tells me that he Let's see. Did he did he watch the game with you? Yeah, I, he he invited me into his home, his lovely home. He's he's got a real nice. He's got a very nice house, actually. Now I need to know about snacks. Were there snacks? Were there appropriate drinks? Like how? Oh, how was Frank as a host? Frank is an excellent host. You'll never ever get me to slander him live on the air, oh, Eric. Man. How dare you? How dare you? I, I had to try. I need some dirt on him. Nah, he's a, no, he's a good guy. Lovely, lovely place. Uh, <laughs> got pugs. All the pugs. Pugs are always good basketball companions. Had some good food, good drink, good game. It was a great time. Okay. Um, let's get your thoughts first on game one since, obviously, uh, I don't even know if I – I don't even think we went back and forth uh, in email or twi- like on, in DMs or anything. I don't even think I talked to you about it. So what were your thoughts after game one? Uh, I, putting it into words is difficult because I did not expect them to come out quite that strong against a team that won more than 50 games in the regular season, against a team that everybody hated the matchup against, against a team that had two extremely talented guards in Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan when the Bucks have struggled to defend really talented guards, particularly fast ones that get where they want to get in the half court. Um, everybody was expecting a five or six, maybe a six game series, and that nobody would have thought that they would have won game one. Even during halftime, I was just waiting, okay, they're going to adjust, they're going to figure something out, they're going to retake control of the game. And it somehow got worse. I don't think they even cracked 20 points in a quarter in the third or fourth quarters of that game. Uh, So all the way up until that final block that Giannis had where he got that terrible technical that the NBA rescinded today, as well they should have, I think that was when I finally admitted to myself, okay, they won this game. They won it convincingly. Whew. The Bucks won a playoff game, a national TV playoff game against a really good team. Are the Bucks a good 
team now in the playoffs? That's the question that I left with. <laughs> I think that's a totally fair question. Um, yeah, it, it was shocking. I know throughout that whole game, all I kept thinking was survive two more minutes, survive 30 more seconds, survive another yeah. possession. Like I, I was that desperate just to get through the smallest increments I could ever just even imagine. And they, they did it. They passed with flying colors. They were able to get through it. And yeah, it, it was just kind of crazy. So I guess kind of in the aftermath of that game, I've talked about it in the week kind of leading up to this, is I've I've been excited to see how teams try to attack Giannis as series goes on. I, I'm excited to see how other teams attack the Bucks as a series goes on. Uh, right. Just because, I mean, that's what playoff basketball is about. It's about making adjustments. It's about figuring out what didn't go right in game one, and then two or three days later seeing that team again and making adjustments. And then after game two, you're seeing in game three what you can improve on from game two. So it's just this game of cat and mouse. And it was a game of cat and mouse that I think all of us were kind of thinking the Bucks would be trailing behind in. We all thought they'd be the ones kind of on their heels recovering, but now it's the Raptors that have to do that. So when I first approached you to do this, we were tossing around topics kind of thinking about what we would want to talk about tonight and it seems to me like the obvious thing is adjustments so is there i think there's going to be a number of adjustments we can talk about but what is the the major adjustment you're thinking you're going to see from the raptors in this game and we can go down the line but let's start with what's at the top of your mind so what the raptors have to do is they have to find a way to contain Giannis's impact now that is a tall order and he's a tall man uh and it's not necessarily something that you might be able to do in the box score, but they got to figure something else out to just prevent Giannis from getting wherever he wants to go, whenever he wants to go there, especially in the half court. You're going to concede at least three, probably four fast break buckets to Giannis every game. That's a given. He's too good in the open court. What they have to do is they got to find a way to wall him off in the half court and prevent him from just simply driving down a seam in the defense and putting Serge Ibaka underneath the rim and two-handing over him like it was me on an eight-foot rim against my two-year-old son. That is how <laughs> hey, strong he is. I'm not going to have any Ollie time. slander on this podcast, okay? There will be no Ollie slander on this podcast. That's fair. He's, he's got all his life for that. Nah, I'm just kidding. He's good. Uh, he actually could pronounce Giannis correctly, yeah. which I am amazed by. Yeah. I'm doing it right. But at least on defense, that's what they, they got to coordinate something if they're going to try to trap him, if they want to force the ball out of his hands, which at least in game one, that might have worked because Chris Middleton with the ball in his hands, if he decided to shoot, was dreadful. Uh, although he did end up with plus 27 on the night with nine assists, so maybe that isn't the silver bullet that the Raptors are looking for. Um so maybe the answer isn't to contain Giannis on offense, but maybe it's try to contain him on defense. Now, what I mean by that is to try to be physical with him, try to get him tired, try to make him get sloppy, because that's the big thing that Giannis still does. He's a young player, only 22 years old. He can get himself hyped up into making suboptimal decisions, and in some cases that can lead to turnovers, that can lead to fouls. Fouls take him off of the court, Fouls take him out of the game. Fouls on Giannis puts the Raptors in a good position. Now, in terms of the how, I don't know how they do that. But whatever they do do, 
Giannis has to be the top of the list just because of how impactful he was in that game. I, I think you bring up some interesting points there. With the turnovers and Giannis playing sloppy, I thought there was two sequences where in transition he was going to get two turnovers. There was one in the first quarter, the first time he goes to the free throw line. After his dunk, he came down on the next possession and kind of got twisted around and managed to throw one up at the rim and the officials might have bailed him out with a call. I think he probably did get fouled, but his footwork was kind of sure. sloppy. He was a little bit out of control. That would have been another turnover. He had one on the game, so that would have been two. And then in that, I think it was in the third quarter, maybe the second quarter, but I'm pretty sure the third quarter, he falls to the ground, somehow keep, manages to keep the ball. They toss it out a couple rotations later. I think it's either a Tony Snell three or a Brogdon three. And it was another situation where for sure should be a turnover like he was out of control he goes to the ground with the ball somehow from his back still manages to make a play and the bucks get positive uh get a a positive possession out of it and there was a couple of those things that just went the bucks way like that's five points that go the bucks way and and there was more than just that too it was there were a number of times especially in the first half where i almost felt like the bucks were getting more friendly treatment from the refs than the Raptors. I don't know if you if you disagree with that or not. No, the, it was it was a much kinder whistle than I would have ever imagined for the Bucks in Toronto and the Bucks kind of not. I mean, Giannis attacks, but beyond that, they don't have a ton of dudes that really attack the rim. I know there was that Delhi bailout. Um, there, I th- there, was, <laughs> there was another Middleton one where they kind of got bailed out. So, I mean, ultimately, the Raptors shoot a lot more free throws. But, yeah, I thought for a while there were, the Bucks were kind of getting a kind whistle. So I think that part is surprising and kind of stay – to me, that helped the Bucks where there were some moments where they were able to – make plays when you would have thought, okay, that's for sure a turnover. And then I think the other thing with Giannis was going into this series, I thought, again, I don't watch the Raptors every night. I I watch them from time to time. I had watched them yeah. once or twice since Lowry had been back. So I had seen them play. And when we talked with Sean Woodley from Lockdown Raptors, he had, he had told us that he thought Lowry was about a hundred percent and everything seemed, seemed fine. And, I just don't know if that was the case because when I was looking at guys that could defend Giannis, I was thinking, okay, Damari Carroll will be one. And I know Damari spent a lot of time on LeBron last year in the playoffs. So, you know, that seems like a logical matchup for him. And Damari Carroll had nothing for Giannis, literally nothing. Like he he did not have a chance. And and I, I guess part of that might be the Raptors had every defender picking Giannis up full court and though I understand you're trying to tire him out and Giannis ends up playing 38 minutes, he probably plays 42 if he doesn't pick up those fouls. But I understand trying to tire him out. But at the same time, there was a number of possessions where I thought they picked him up so early that Giannis, Giannis isn't what he was last year where you could pressure him 94 feet and he would struggle to handle it. I, I know there was times where Nick Batum did that last year uh, when the yep. Bucks played the Hornets and he, he really struggled with it and he didn't like it. But his handle isn't as sloppy as it used to be. He's tightened up his handle this year, and I don't really think full-court pressure bothers him at this point. And early in that game, I thought that was kind of what got him going and got him loose was that they pressured him, and then around the three-point line, you'd have Giannis with a head of steam with, I don't know, Giannis Valanciunas in the background, with Serge Ibaka in the background. And if he's got a full head of steam, those guys have nothing for him. So uh, I think as far as adjustments go, I think that might be one thing we see, that 
they'll stop pressuring them full court because again I don't I mentioned it when we were talking uh, with Brett uh, last week during our rotation talk and I said well how much can you play Giannis because he doesn't seem like the type of person that's that gets tired and Kevin O'Connor mentioned that he thinks he's an alien today and again I don't I don't think it's far-fetched like Giannis it just doesn't seem to be the kind of guy that tires out so I don't know if that full court press really does anything for him and you're speeding him up and letting him get into a transition type look and that's where Giannis is practically unstoppable so I think on the top of my list as far as adjustments go for what they'll do I think we'll see them stop pressuring in full court because I just don't think it does anything for them no I agree uh if as you were talking the one thing I can think of if I was Dwayne Casey and if I was going to try to come up with a game plan to stop Giannis and get the ball out of his hands and to disrupt whatever momentum he builds over the course of a game like you said don't pick him up full court he's too agile he's too versatile he's just too in control now versus even a year ago but maybe try to pick him up at half court maybe try to throw some half court traps at him with some of your faster defenders um maybe even pull DeRozan off of whoever he's being hidden against which I don't know who DeMar checked most of game one I don't know if it was Snell or if he was covering Chris Middleton or what their it was Snell most of the time yeah like like Tony Snell has definitely stepped up lately, and his, his shooting has been very good. He's been attacking and dunking, which, just like you guys <laughs> talked about the other day, has been shocking for me, too, to yeah. watch. But he's not dangerous. Giannis is dangerous. So, you know, play with play with a fire firecracker instead of, you know, a giant firework. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about how, uh, how the Cavs sent LeBron on that I don't even want to call it a trap, but it was just kind of a double team at Paul George at the end of that game, and you're forcing the ball out of his hands, and granted, you're going to have to scramble a little bit, but that almost seems like a better option than whatever it may be with Giannis uh, just kind of of having a free reign. Um, Continuing in that thought process, so I had started a thought and then went to a completely different thought, but going into this series, I thought there was three guys that could cover LeBron on the on the Raptors I thought Damari Carroll could handle him I thought and again handle him isn't stopping him like there's not a Giannis it's all relative that's that's not a thing that exists but I thought there were at least three guys on the team that could hold up relatively well against Giannis I thought Damari Carroll was one of them that does not appear to be true he does not appear to be the same player that he was I just don't think he has the quickness maybe with maybe with LeBron last year who doesn't show off that athleticism quite as much this year. Maybe that was a reason why Damari could kind of handle him, but I just don't think he's athletic enough for Giannis at this point. So that was one of them. Um, I thought Serge Ibaka was another one just because he's athletic enough. He's got some strength. And I will say I second thought that when Giannis put him under the rim and dunked on him. Um, but at the same time, that was just that was just one play, though. Correct, just one play, and, and we didn't see a lot of Serge Ibaka on Giannis. So uh, I wonder if that's something that the Raptors would go to. And then finally, PJ Tucker, he plays twenty nine minutes off the bench, and it seems like that's kind of their best matchup for him. And I thought that would be someone that bothered him. I know when we were talking about it before uh, the 
or I, I guess I think that was our preview with uh, Lockdown Raptors host Sean Woodley when we talked about that. Yeah. I, I said P.J. Tucker was kind of the guy that I thought might be the best one because he's got the quickness to handle Giannis off the dribble, and he's a, known as a strong guy around the league, and he kind of likes to be handsy and physical, and I thought that would be a good matchup, but it, it just seems to me that Giannis is, at this point, a little bit too comfortable in the post for P.J. Tucker. That Way too comfortable in the like, post by now. Like, at this point, he can just kind of back down and get to where he wants, and he, he's such a good playmaker that he's he's kind of able to handle it. And I, I don't know, did did you think something similar? Because I, I just thought, I, and again, obviously this is kind of, uh, I'm wearing rose-colored glasses because of that fadeaway sure. that Giannis hits at him, uh, against <laughs> him. And to, as, I guess it was kind of the dagger. I don't, I don't know if that would be the right term for it, but that was kind of where you thought, okay, this one might be over when he hits that fadeaway jumper. But to me, it was before the fadeaway jumper that, was more impressive was that Giannis moved him back four feet to create that space for that fadeaway jumper. Like, I, I think he just might be too strong and long for PJ Tucker. No, I mean, he is at this point is, I know that you, you specifically, you Eric have talked about Giannis's development and the growth he has just his physical strength. That's been shocking this season particularly in the second half of the season it definitely looks like all that work that they him and the his coaches have put in working him around the post and definitely working on his post footwork and his post moves have paid off a great deal uh yeah in terms of defending him maybe you know maybe pj tucker gets to move into the starting lineup in place of carroll that's a pretty extreme move but it could be viable just because tucker seems to be more likely to be physically up to the task. And he played more uh, than Carroll on, on he Saturday. Did. He played 29 minutes to Carroll's 24. He did. He, I mean, they both shot. They both scored around the same amount of points because they you know, both didn't shoot very much and didn't get to shoot very well at all. But one name that I see on here, and it might be a little too crazy, Patrick Patterson, would he even stand a chance? I guess not, not in full court, of course, yeah. but would they, would they find a way to maybe – maneuver their defense around so that they can draw Patterson on Giannis off of a switch. Uh, Cause he's six, nine, he's over 200 pounds. So he seems to at least have the frame of somebody who could reliably, not, not reliably. I'm saying that with a huge chunk of salt, uh, reliably bother Giannis into making not great decisions. He's got three inches over Tucker. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, you asked a, a question. I don't know if I have an answer, which <laughs> no, is I, a great feeling as a Bucks fan. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I think Pat Pat is kind of an answer that I, again, not an answer answer, but someone that could help out. And I had mentioned that on Twitter, and again, Sean Woodley happened to see it, and he said that he thought we might see Patterson's minutes double uh, and see him play thirty two minutes in this game. And uh, I will say when. Uh, Patterson hit that left corner three. I think that was in the second quarter, and that was kind of during the time where the Bucks weren't doing so well, where they were kind right. of struggling a little bit. And in my head, I started to think, oh, here comes the the onslaught of corner threes, and the Raptors kind of starting to figure things out. And uh, I I think Pat I think Patterson would kind of be a viable option. He's a guy that has hurt the Bucks before from three, and um, like you said, he's kind of got the a little bit more length than Tucker, and he still does move relatively well. Obviously, no one's going to move as well as Giannis at that size, but um, I, I do have to wonder if maybe he's he's a guy that can 
give Giannis some problems. So, But that also does present a trickle-down effect that's in favor of Toronto because if Patterson is getting more minutes and is drawing Giannis as an assignment, that means somebody like Tucker or Carroll can defend Chris Middleton or Malcolm Brogdon or you know who, whoever yeah. else is out there that's not as physically capable as Giannis is. So that, that might be a chess move where you give up one to take two on the other end. Yeah, that I don't would, know. Ho- that hopefully would be Dwayne a- Casey doesn't listen to Lockdown Bucks. <laughs> well, we found out that a lot of coaches do end up listening. No, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess that is kind of interesting that Patterson may be maybe a move that you can add some more size, but in adding that size also – down like I, I don't know how to say it but yeah just kind of move all of your furniture around in a slightly different way to make it make more sense um so yeah i, I guess you could kind of have a, a lineup of lowry derozan patterson tucker and then abaca um or maybe uh, you have to you uh, have to put abaca there J, jv can't handle Giannis. no you don't want to no. at all yeah so that that might be that might be an interesting lineup, but yeah, I I think we'll we'll see some interesting stuff from the Raptors in that regard. Um, any anything else that comes to your mind as far as things that you saw that maybe are not sustainable for the Bucks? Things that you think maybe the Raptors can try to adjust for in this upcoming game? Absolutely. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas took five shots in this game in twenty three and a half minutes. JV was matched up against Thon Maker, who weighs about the same amount that I do, which is saying something more about me than it does about Thon. No, I'm not that big. I haven't gotten that soft in my old age. <laughs> but there is no reason why a player as brawny and as talented as Jonas Valanciunas doesn't get more of a feature against a real thin defender like Thon Maker. I love Thon. I've grown to love Thon just so much further than I did when he was first drafted. I've completely done a 180 on him. But his physical presence is not there yet. And if he's going to keep starting games, which I think that kids should keep him in the starting lineup, the Raptors have to take advantage of that. And if JV is their best post player, then they need to toss down JV. They need to get him isolated against Maker. And they just need to get him to beat the rookie up. That if I was Dwayne Casey, that is one thing that I can't believe I didn't get to do more of in game one. Because if you make Thon tired, for whatever reason, especially in the second half of the season when Thon started getting more starts, as he was in, the Bucks defense just looked night and day different from when he was out of the game. Night and day. It, it, whether it's his effort or his energy or his communication or whatever it is, if Thon has a ton of energy available to, to expend – he creates something that the Bucks defense harnesses that causes them to get more turnovers and be more active on switches and to close out on shooters better and to execute their defensive scheme better, which, as we all know, the scheme is vulnerable if it isn't executed to a T. So if I have a chance to beat up a linchpin of that defense and I have you know a hammer like Jonas Valanciunas to beat up that linchpin with, I, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't explore it. It's not like anything else worked. I mean, I don't know if uh, if you want to see a return to back to the basket, you know, post up basketball, but that might be something that Toronto considers. That that is interesting. And, and like you said, the Bucks defense for the last month has been great with Thon on the floor at one hundred one point seven. 
uh, from March 10th to April 12th uh, for the. I'll take it. For I the, will take it <laughs> for the season finale there against the Celtics. So uh, it, it definitely did, and Thanas looked way more comfortable. And um, in the thing I wrote at ESPN Milwaukee, had said that he's now at the point where he's comfortable enough that he can try to push his own pace on other teams that defensively he can try to speed other teams up. And um, I thought that was uh, just an interesting observation from someone that young that has that little experience that for a while was kind of grasping, failing to grasp NBA defense. And now he's to the point where he feels like he can actively speed another team up with his effort defensively. And I I don't know. I was thinking about it. I I rewatched the game today and it was just funny that, any t- pretty much any time Thon was in the game, the Raptors were not struggling to get to the rim. Um, sure. They, they were, I guess with Thon, the way they're having Thon play, and this could both be a symptom of them asking him to play it this way and also maybe him not being quite as quick on his reads, but it does appear like he doesn't hedge quite as hard as Monroe. Um, and Frank had that very... Uh, I mean, just an apt description of uh, Greg Monroe is more of a soccer goalie who's coming out further to cut off angles and Thon as the hockey goalie who's staying back and trying to do some more things. But with Thon in there, they were getting to the rim. The, The Raptors got to the rim and had a shot at the rim. Their first six possessions of the game with Thon Maker in the game. Now, they made three of those, but... Sure. Three of them Thon affected with either there was two that just got thrown off the backboard by uh, just by Lowry being a little bit long and DeRozan not having quite as much spin as he thought he was going to have, and then Thon blocking one. So there there was three plays where Thon's impact was being felt, but then also three plays where they got good looks at the rim. So if you decide to go to Valanciunas, maybe you're not going to see as much pick and roll and and that would be a bit of a deviation. So uh, I certainly don't think it's a bad idea because tiring out Thon, I I think could be a very good thing and very useful, but man, it it would, it would be a bit of a deviation, but you just think that there's got to be a way that Valanciunas can get more involved. Him only taking, what was it? Five shots, five shots in 24 minutes. That's insane for a guy that, has so regularly filled it up for them this season. So um, I, I think that's an interesting one. Um, I'm try- What else you got? I, I feel like I'm just going to keep going to you and you're going to keep giving me stuff. Maybe not. I mean, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm a gold mine, so we'll see how far deep we can dig with this. I, I'm, just, I'm looking through their roster, and I'm trying to find who else could be impactful against this Bucks team. And, you know, they have a number of talented players. Uh, they've got a really good big rotation, so I wonder if maybe – uh, finding a way to tire out Greg Monroe, who also showed out in his first career playoff game. Big ups to Moose for having such a great debut in the postseason. Um, but with how smart and how just effective he's been on defense, given his limitations on that end, I would I would go so far as to say that he's been for what we expected. He's been a good defender this season. He really has. Uh, Just by virtue of him being able to get his hands over so much more than we thought he would, you know, so much makes up for his lack of foot speed and lack of lateral agility. Um, And so I wonder if there's any virtue to maybe trying to stagger the minutes on the Raptors side of things to get Ibaka more time with the second unit 
and have Monroe have to check Ibaka. But that also that also could involve playing more Patrick Patterson against Giannis. That could involve, you know, maybe taking JV out a little bit earlier and then getting him an earlier shift when he takes the floor back with the starters. Uh, not not being an avid follower of Toronto Raptors basketball, I don't know their rotation like the back of my hand. But then again, I don't know the Bucks rotation like the back of my hand either. <laughs> um, but who does? Who does? That's true. Who does? I mean, I, you also have to figure that. Let's let's be honest with ourselves. Kyle Lowry is going to be better in Game Two. If he isn't, something is seriously wrong. Seriously wrong with that wrist. Demar Derozan is healthy. Demar Derozan shot seven of twenty-one from the field. He's going to be better in Game Two. So I wonder that. Maybe you and I are overthinking it, and if we actually were taking over Dwayne Casey's brain for a minute, that over-analysis would be another nail in their playoff coffin. Maybe they just need to do the same thing and just run it back with what they had, knowing that their players, on average, are a higher talent level than the Bucks are on average. Maybe that's their key. What do you think? I think that would be a large part of it. I think there's certainly some things... The one of the, one of the things I always find fascinating with coaches is when you ask them if they are going to make an adjustment, if they if they thought about doing something different, and, and this is obviously true of Jason Kidd. Obviously, if you've listened to him during post game press conferences, just bat down my questions, or <laughs> it, even every NBA coach that comes in, into town, you ask them how to try to adjust for this, and it, it's always some version of we just have to execute better. Like most NBA teams know what they're doing, know the best way to leverage their players. They just have to find a way to execute better. And I I was totally fascinated. I rewatched the game today. And as I was rewatching the game, I I was just shocked with how many times the Raptors were lazy in transition and semi-transition where they just allowed bad cross matches to happen. And what I mean by that was there was a couple sequences where the throughout the game the Bucks were looking to get Middleton or Giannis on a smaller guy. And they would do that through some deli screens. They would do that through some pick and roll action with Brogdon. They would do that with some backdoor action with Monroe and stuff like that. So no matter what, they're trying to get that smaller guy on Middleton or Giannis. And I was just shocked that when Giannis went out during that 4:33, where he had to sit out for his fourth foul, there was yeah. two possessions where, in transition, semi-transition, one was on a miss and the other was on a made basket. They just allowed Corey Joseph to cover Chris Middleton, and like that wasn't the matchup. Like it was supposed to. Be, I would have, actually. I don't know. Maybe that was their matchup, but I can't imagine it was. I think it was supposed to be PJ Tucker. And, makes a lot more sense for it to be Tucker than Joseph. No, yeah, no slight on Joseph, but correct. that's not a great outcome. Yeah, and, and P.J. Tucker on both of those possessions was covering Malcolm Brogdon. So I, I think it was supposed to be switched, but it, it just seemed like a sloppy execution of what they were supposed to be doing. And on both of those possessions, one ended up in uh, a Middleton assist to Monroe for an easy lay-in, and then mm-hmm. the other one ended in them sending a double team at Middleton. It was the one where he skips over the top to Brogdon, who catches it with like one hand on the baseline and tosses over to Delhi for a three. Yeah. And that's a huge that's a huge sequence. In a matter of thirty seconds, the Bucks go plus five with Giannis on the bench. And it's simply because 
you didn't execute the things that you were supposed to do. Um, so, so I think there, there probably is to some extent some thoughts within the Raptors that, hey, we are better than this team. Uh, I don't know what happened in game one that we didn't execute in that way, but we are better than this basketball team. And we've beat the Bucks 13 of the last 15 times. Like, or not, just wait, 13 of the last 16 times now. We, yeah. are, we are better than this team. We just need to go out there and execute. So I do think there there's some of that, and it'll just be kind of fascinating to watch. Um, I don't think offensively they change much because I look at Lowry's 0 for 6 from the three-point line, and I think the Bucks did a nice job running him off the three-point line. But at the same time, how many threes did he miss where he pump faked, Bucks guy goes flying through, and he takes just a little side dribble and has essentially a wide-open look from three, and he misses. Like yeah, he, that's his shot. He's it, not going to miss that in a gym. Correct. He, he, that's Kyle Lowry. He's a, he's a great basketball player. He makes that shot. He's he's certainly not an zero for six three point shooter on what was for the most part a, a lot of good looks. He's just not that guy. He's better than that. So uh, I think with Lowry, you're going to see them continue to get better, and you're going to see him make some more shots. And I think with the Raptors, they they're a pick and roll team. They just are. They pick and roll right. like crazy to get Lowry and DeRozan to the basket. And there were large parts of that game where they got to the basket. They didn't finish, but they got to the basket. Um, so I, I, you're probably right in us thinking too much about this when maybe in the Raptors' minds they just need to play better. Yeah, that's honestly looking back over at the game summary at the box score and everything else. Like they shot 36 percent from the field. That is startlingly low for any team. Just any like yeah. the Sixers don't shoot. Th- well, okay, maybe the Sixers, <laughs> but most teams don't shoot thirty six. That was that was uncalled for. I'm sorry for slandering the Sixers on this podcast. Nope, I, they but most teams it. aren't going to shoot. They, well, let's see how the rookie of the era race shakes out. <laughs> uh, they're gonna, they're going to be better. They're going to get their looks. The shots are going to start falling. You know who knows? They, they we might be having this conversation on Tuesday nights, on Wednesday morning, how, oh, how could the Bucks, you know, let go all this momentum? They had the Raptors on the ropes. Like, no, they didn't. They took one game. They almost took them by surprise because maybe the Raptors forgot how good Giannis is. Or maybe the Raptors, you know, forgot that Tony Snell knows how to dunk now and can shoot threes. <laughs> or that Malcolm Brogdon is a really, really, really good shooter, for, especially for a rookie, but just a really good shooter overall. Um, I'm not sure what it is. I think that game one, was I don't want to say aberration, but game one was a surprise to all of us on both sides of the fan base that has rooting interests in this series. I think after game two is going to be a lot more instructive in terms of, okay, what's actually going to go on with this series? What's actually going to happen as both teams prep to come back to Milwaukee for game three? I would totally agree. Um, I, I don't, I've, I've seen. I've had a lot of people in my mentions today asking me if I now think that the Bucks are going to win this series. And obviously, there, there's a couple things going through my mind. One that whatever the percentage is, the higher percentage, the majority of teams that win Game One win a series. But also at the same time, the Bucks had a 17% chance to win this series going into it. And I think ESPN's updated BPI is somewhere around 50% chance for the Bucks. I think a little bit. Wait, I'm sorry, you said 50? 50, yes. That feels that feels way too high. I'm sorry. Call, call me a, a Bucks truther or whatever you want. That seems way too high at this stage. I would agree. Um, but, I, I mean, it speaks to kind of where uh, the Bucks are and... 
that they won game one. Like that's that's an actual thing that they did, uh, and it, it helps put them in a better position. But at the same time, like the Raptors are are still the favorite. They are they're still. Um, I'm trying to pull it up right now. Oh, it was it wasn't fifty fifty. It was thirty eight percent. Thirty eight percent. Okay, that's that, that feel it still feels a tad high, but not like outrageously high. Okay, so thirty eight percent chance, and, and there's a lot of Bucks fans that think if they outplayed them that much in Game One, that they're they should be the favorites now that they they are better than the Raptors. But this is a good Raptors team, as you mentioned. They won fifty games this year. You don't win fifty games by accident. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. Knowing how healthy Kyle Lowry is, I think is huge because, again, he really struggled. If he struggles in game two, you have to wonder, one, is he actually healthy, and two, is playoff Kyle Lowry a thing? Um, and the the evidence is growing, and we're going to have to see if that's actually a thing. And then at the same time, you just have to kind of figure out where, where the Bucks are and um, – what can the Bucks do in this next game? I think Greg Monroe probably played over his head uh, a little bit in 14 points, 15 rebounds. I think sure. Brogdon probably played a solid game. I don't know if it was above his head. Giannis probably shoots a little bit better than you would think. Um, five turnovers is insane. Two live ball turnovers is batshit. Uh, like, <laughs> that, that's just crazy. Um, so I, I can't imagine you'll see that turnover number remain that low. Um, no. So I, I guess there, there's a, a number of things that should make you think, okay, the Bucks can't do that again. But also we haven't seen the Giannis game yet. Like that was, that was just a good game from Giannis. That wasn't an insane 35-10 showing. Um, so, so that's still somewhere to come. So I, I don't know. I, I think we're looking at a series that's going to be a lot longer than I originally predicted. I was thinking five games, um, trying to talk myself into six, and now I think it's it's probably a seven-game series. So um, I, there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff, but I don't know if game one is necessarily instructional uh, going forward and seeing kind of what the rest of the series is going to be like. No, fully agreed on all those points. It's uh, There are many more conversations to be had about a great number of Milwaukee Buck playoff games. Uh, this is and Giannis is only twenty two. That's the thing that I always come back to. <laughs> that is right. That right. That is that is the correct reaction. Uh, this series, no matter how it plays out, if the box if the Bucks shock the league and upset the third seeded Raptors and move on to the second round, or if they do end up losing in six games, five games, if Toronto sweeps them out from here. That doesn't necessarily go against their expectations and isn't an indictment against the team. It's kind of just, okay, the Toronto is a very good basketball team. Milwaukee is good, but has its flaws. Flaws that will hopefully be ironed out as the team progresses into the future. And even um, if it happens, it, like we have game one. We saw game yep. one. It was we awesome, one. and we know that the Bucks have that potential. I, f- I feel very good. I feel very good about things. Even if they lose on Tuesday night, I'll still feel good. Maybe not quite as good, but you know what? I'll make it. I think you will too. I will. I I will survive. There's no doubt about that. Um, I'm trying to think of other things I wanted to cover. One thing that is going to interest me, um, I know we kind of wrapped up, but whatever. I had some other thought in my head that I didn't get to get to. Um, Hey, let's do it. So with Middleton, he was one for his first 10, I believe. 
It was um, ugly. So he ends up three of his last five. Um, and they go to him in the post quite a bit. And repeatedly they were trying to get that Corey Joseph matchup. And I was kind of just shocked with how sloppy and awful their double teams of Middleton were. Um, Agreed. Because I, I just think in the first half there was the easy pass to Monroe when Valanchunas was the double that came across the lane for some reason and left Monroe wide open underneath the basket. Um, there, there was another one where Abaka fell down and Middleton got an easy assist out of a post-up. There was the play I already mentioned where they sent the double and that sent off a kind of chain reaction of passes. And it, it just felt like that kept happening throughout the game. So throughout the game, I was curious – why even double Middleton? He he can't hit a shot right now. I, I know he has that mismatch on Corey Joseph or smaller guards, but it just didn't seem worthwhile. And I I assume they'll continue to send a double, but I wonder if the location from which they send the double changes. Like it, it just doesn't seem like a sustainable thing to do against the Bucks, who live to hunt out mismatches. Like that is for sure. That is essentially their offense. Like if there's one thing their offensive system will do it is find whatever mismatches on the floor even if it takes until there's five seconds left on the shot clock they will find it and they will go to it even if that means it's it's a bad fadeaway jumper they will find it so uh, i'm just curious to see how the raptors attempt to change up those coverages if they try to change them up at all Uh, that's a that's a great point that's the one thing that i think they need to really focus on because despite his poor shooting night he had nine assists led the team and assists and was a very good playmaker for others. Uh, a number of dish-offs to his good friend Greg Monroe to get a bucket near the basket. Um, I wonder if that's a symptom of Middleton not playing in three out of the four games against Toronto this season because of that hamstring injury. You know, he only played in 32 games this year. He averaged three and a half assists over that stretch. So it's not like people shouldn't know that Chris Middleton is a very good playmaker but maybe Toronto just didn't have that as high on their list of things to know and you know check boxes to mark off in terms of what options they want to limit with Milwaukee and what they didn't. Because if you're going to keep sending doubles like they did in Game 1 against Chris Middleton, he's going to continue to pick them apart because just like everybody else has done his entire career, people keep underestimating him. <laughs> it, it, it was just so lazy and sloppy. And I guess maybe that goes back to my original point about maybe the Raptors just think they need to execute better. Uh, but man, it, it was just, it just seemed like such awful execution. It seemed lazy. Like, I don't know. I don't know the correct, the correct word for it, but it just seemed off. So I, so I wonder if that gets better um, in game two. For sure. Mitchell, I I think we've we've done it. I think we've covered everything I want to cover. Unless you have something left. Hey, I've I've always got something left in the tank, but I think that everybody's listened to me drone on in place of Frank enough. I much <laughs> prefer to listen to Frank than myself. Uh, tomorrow might be the first locked on Bucks episode I have to skip. Uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I appreciate all of your droning. Um, just just know that. So. For Mitchell Maurer, this has been Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. Oh, I almost forgot. ESPN Milwaukee Sidecast Game 2. Join us. Just find the ESPN Milwaukee Twitter page um, or go to ESPN Milwaukee's Facebook page. It'll be Pratik and I once again. Um, we had a, a bunch of people join us last time. I very much appreciate it. That was very cool of you. Um, but, yeah, essentially in-game analysis, and we're just talking Bucks. So if you don't want to... 
listen to the national people if Gus and Marcus are just a little bit too excited for you um, and you want some more even-keeled analysis, come over by us. Um, but yeah, come hang out with us. And uh, We had a lot of fun last time. Hopefully we'll have a lot of fun in Game 2. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you, Eric. I think we're done. All right, that, this has been Locked On Bucks. I will talk to you after Game 2 tomorrow. You've reached the high fashion hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. Right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only.